We're going to read from God's Word. Why don't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read the last few verses of Hebrews 4. I'm going to read from verse 14 through to the end. Jesus, the great high priest. This is God's Word. Hebrews 4.14 Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. We thank God for his word. Craig Hamilton, who's an Anglican minister, writes this. He writes, he came to live where we do. He came here where everything breaks where nothing lasts, where everything that's beautiful gets ugly, and where everything precious dies, Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to live a human life here on earth. I think that for us to understand this changes everything. We need to understand and know that Jesus knows what it's like to live life on earth as a human being. This is the last three messages in a short series that we're calling Going Deeper. As we look at the importance of rest, scripture, and prayer as we prepare ourselves for the summer um, to go deeper with God, not to just settle for the shallow waters, but actually to go deeper with him. We want to venture deeper with God into those deeper waters of faith. If you were here last week or if you listened online, we thought about the place of rest and scripture um, as we considered Hebrews chapter four. And this morning, as we focus on these last few verses, we're thinking about the importance of prayer and how in that place of prayer, we find deep rest in God. So three big thoughts for us today when it comes to going deeper in prayer. We have a great high priest. He assumes that we are weak and we must approach him boldly. We're gonna think about these three things. We have a great high priest. He assumes that we're weak and then we must approach him boldly. So we have a, a great high priest some scholars would suggest that a major portion of the book of Hebrews begins here at chapter 4, verse 14, where we're introduced to Jesus um, as our compassionate high priest. That, that as we um, consider this morning this call to go deeper with him, I believe that it's vital that we understand this, that Jesus is a compassionate, great high priest. See, this concept of the high priest would have been very familiar to the Hebrew people. They would have understood um, what the high priest was, who he was, what his role was. In Hebrew, he was the Kohen Gadol. Um, this was the, the term for high priest, the chief religious functionary in the Jerusalem temple. And his unique privilege would have been that once a year, he would have entered the Holy of Holies, that sacred inner place in the temple on the Day of Atonement, 
where the great high priest would have burned incense and sprinkled sacrificial animal blood to purge his own sins and those of the people on whose behalf he represented. And so the Hebrew people would have been familiar with this idea of a, of a high priest. But in the book of Hebrews, we're told that in Jesus, we now have a great high priest, greater than any high priest who was ever before him. I want to quickly piece together a picture of how Jesus is different from, greater than any Old Testament Levitical priest before we think about these verses. So we're told that in Hebrews 7 and 9 that there were many of these Levitical high priests, but when it comes to our great high priest, Jesus, there is only one. We're told that the role of the Levitical high priest was a temporary one, but when it comes to our great high priest, his role is a permanent one and an eternal one. The Levitical high priests of the Old Testament were sinful by nature. They were human beings. They were sinful by nature and they needed their own sins atoned for or purged. But our great high priest, Jesus, is sinless, holy. He's perfect in every way. He has made atonement only for the sins of others. There is no sin in his own life that needs atoned for. The, the, uh, the, it's hard to say, the Levitical, the Levitical high priests offered up animal sacrifices, but our great high priest has offered himself. The Levitical high priest in the Old Testament entered a man-made tent by means of the blood of goats and calves. But we're told that our great high priest has entered the greater perfect tabernacle in heaven by means of his very own blood. In every way and in every regard, Jesus is greater. He is greater. He is always greater. He is greater than anyone or anything before him or after him. He is greater. And so we have a great high priest who enables direct access to God And because that's who he is, we're told that we are to firmly, hold firmly to the faith that we profess in him. So we have a great high priest, Jesus. Secondly, Jesus assumes that we are weak. He knows that we are weak. The author of the Hebrews assumes that we are weak. Jesus knows that we are weak. Look at verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He knows our weakness. He knows that we are weak. I think sadly, sometimes when we use language like great high priest or priestly language, when we talk this way, we can be tempted to think of this kind of stern, um, rigidly religious standoffish, judgmental, disconnected from real life kind of figure. But we must never have that view of Jesus. It's not who he is. He's gentle and lowly in heart. And he tells us that whoever comes to him, he will never cast out. I say this because we're told here that one of the most remarkable things about Jesus is that he assumes, he knows that as human beings in a fallen, broken world, we are weak. He knows we're weak. He knows every weakness about us. 
He knows that we cannot get by on our own. And if we really choose to own this about ourselves, that we are weak, then the mind-blowing and life-changing implication is that we will understand that Jesus gets us. He gets us. He knows us. He, he knows what we struggle with. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we often just cannot do it on our own. He's not detached from the reality of your life or mine, but he gets the reality of the human struggle that we face in life right now. Jesus gets us. He understands us. He sympathizes with us and he empathizes with us as well. He knows what it's like. He knows that we are weak. I wonder if you're sitting here and you just feel weak and tired and worn out after another really busy year. We mentioned that last week. Lots of hands were going up. He knows your weakness. He knows how you feel. He knows what's weighing you down right now. He knows the struggles that you face. Jesus gets us and he understands our humanity. Dave Harvey writing about this says this. He says, Jesus is no Pharisee. Rolling his eyes when we fail. Outwardly tolerating us, but inwardly reviling our weakness. He says, no, Jesus actually sympathizes with us when we are weak. And as a loving high priest, he empathizes with the areas where we suffer deficiencies. I think this helps us to understand that God knows us. We don't live, and, uh, live for and worship a God who is far away, totally disconnected from our lives. He knows us intimately. He understands our lives with the incarnation. God himself got into skin, human flesh, and he became like us. He gets us. He knows what life is like for us. Are you ready for, for some scandal? Everyone loves a bit of scandal. The scandalous truth is this. He, Jesus, has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Imagine. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are. That's scandal. But yet without sin. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are as human beings here on earth. In Jesus, 33 years on earth, he was tempted just like we are, yet without sin. If he's tempted in every way like we are, then it's not blasphemous for me to stand here and say that Jesus faced temptation to pursue vengeance. Jesus faced temptation in the face of greed. Jesus, you can have it all. If you really want, you can have it all. Jesus faced temptation to pursue earthly treasure. Could have had it all. Jesus faced temptation to take the easy way out. He faced temptation to throw in the towel, to give up on those that he loved, to walk away from those who were doing his head in, to walk away from what mattered most. That Jesus had people who wanted to distract him to tempt him away from the purpose and mission that was before him. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has been there. He can therefore help us in our weakness. I wonder, do you actually understand that? Jesus can help you in your weakness. He wants to. He wants to help you in your weakness. 
And I believe that in order to truly go deeper into the place of prayer and relationship and devotion to God, we need to know this about him. We need to know that he helps us in our weakness. In verse 14, it says, um, there's a word since that could also be translated because. And what it's saying here is that because we have Jesus as our empathetic great high priest, we therefore have the foundation in place for the command that's about to follow. And what is that command? Well, it's to approach God with boldness. So we have a great high priest. He assumes that we're weak and we must approach him boldly. With confidence, we can come before him. Writing about this, Pastor Sam Storms writes four, or he presents four brilliant questions. Um, I've adjusted them slightly, um, but I think these are brilliant questions to ask at this point as we consider approaching him boldly. Here are the four questions. Where are we to go? How often should we come? How should we approach him? And what should we expect to find there? So first of all, where are we to go? When we come before Jesus, where are we to go? What does it look like? Well, it's a, it's a throne of grace. We're to approach God's throne of grace. Yes, the king who sits there is the king of kings, majesty. And we bow humbly before him in awe and wonder. He is the king of kings and our great high priest, but the throne upon which Jesus sits, we're told here, is a throne of grace. Grace is what we find there. Grace is God's unmerited favor towards sinful people like us. God's riches that are for us. God's grace is his utter goodness, his fountain that relentlessly pours out good things upon us the blessing of God that none of us deserve. You see, the thought of coming before a throne, if you think about it, sounds intimidating. A throne? Can I come before a throne? Can I come and, and stand before a king? But that's not how we, sh we should view this throne. Jesus could have said the throne of God or the throne of heaven, but he writes about the throne of grace. We come before the throne of grace. Make no mistake, right storms he says it is certainly a throne before which we come but it's grace that awaits us there it's grace that it sits enthroned it's not a throne of law or of criticism or of judgment but of grace this throne exists to dispense grace to those who seek it out its purposes are gracious the utterances spoken there are gracious the answers to prayer received there are all of grace See, this is the throne before which we come in worship, in communion, and in prayer. If it wasn't a throne of grace, none of us would be here. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here standing in front of you trying to lead us towards the throne of grace if it wasn't grace that I found there, if it wasn't grace that found me, if it wasn't the grace of God that relentlessly came after my wandering heart. It's a throne of grace and we bring our deepest needs before God there, knowing that he will hear us. That's where we're to go. How often should we come? The author says we're to, to approach the throne. We are to draw near. It carries, that word carries a sense of, of never-ending approach. We're to come before God. We're to come before him again. 
We're to approach the throne and we're to approach the throne again. It's a door that is never shut. How thankful are you for that? The throne before, uh, upon which we come, there is a, a door that's always open. God never shuts us out. The light is always on. God always calls us to, to come to him, to approach, to approach, to approach him. He loves us and he wants us to come every day, every hour of every day. And if you're really tuned in and really, really spiritual, every minute of every hour of every day, we can come before his throne of grace. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes people want our attention and we kind of say, it's not a good time. Just now is not a good time to speak to me. I'm not really in the mood um, to have that conversation. Um, But with God, there's never not a good time to come. He always wants us to come to him. So thirdly, how should we approach the throne? Well, it's with confidence. It's with boldness. We can confidently come before him. We can confidently come because, as we've already said, we have a a great high priest who has made the way for us. He has made access for us. We can come with confidence before the throne of grace. Jesus who knows us. Jesus who knows us and still loves us. Jesus who knows all of our greatest weaknesses, failures, and fears. On Wednesdays, or in Wednesdays, Lectio Devotional, um, as I was listening to it um, at home, Pete Gregg was encouraging uh, us in prayer, uh, and it said this, he said this in that devotional on Wednesday, turning my attention to the outside world, I fix my eyes on an aspect of creation and ask the Lord to speak to me through it now. And I thought, come on, Pete, I can't be bothered looking out the window and looking at a tree. I'm not in the mood for that kind of thing right now. Give me something. But you know what? I looked outside and my gaze immediately fell upon a beautiful flower growing in the middle of a big dirty bush in our back garden. Instantly I was reminded in that moment of Jesus' words in Luke 12, 27 to 28, where Jesus says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So where does our confidence come from? It comes from Jesus who really, really does love us despite everything that he knows about us. Our God is a God of so much more. How much more? How much more than the lilies in the field or the birds in the air? How much more does God love you and will provide for you and for me? God cares deeply about us. And because of the saving work of Jesus, we belong to him. How much more does he love us? And so we can come with confidence before him. Fourthly and finally, what, would, what should we expect to find there? We've already said it. We find grace, but we also find mercy. If you look at verse 16, we find grace and we find mercy to help in our times of need. God hates our sin. 
let's just be abundantly clear about that. God hates when we wander from him, when we indulge in things that do not honor his heart. And we must seek righteousness and pursue holiness. We know that our sinfulness has consequences, sometimes devastating ones. And God's word speaks truth to our hearts, shedding light into the darkest parts of our innermost being. But God also responds to his people because of our great high priest with mercy and grace, with kindness. Do you know that God is so kind? He's so kind. And in in Romans 2, Paul tells us that it's his kindness that leads to repentance. Our God is so kind. He's so good and so gracious and so merciful. When I think of mercy, I think of God withholding from us what we do deserve for our rebellion against him. And when I think of grace, I think of God granting or gifting or pouring out upon us an abundance of his goodness that we do not deserve. Everything that we do not deserve, he pours out upon us in and through his son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Using the example of the prodigal son, Max Licato, um, puts it like this. He says, mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance, but grace gave him a feast. Mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance, but grace gave him a feast. And so as we think about the place of prayer in our lives this summer, as we desire to go deeper with our God, we approach a throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, because of the work of Jesus. We enter the presence of our King who grants us not only second chance after second chance, but he invites us to feast on his delights once again. Why wouldn't we go there? Why wouldn't we go there? So this summer, what's your plan? What's your pattern? And what's your practice? How are you going to go about this? As I head off on holiday next week, oh boy, I can't wait. It's been a wonderful year, by the way. And and we're going to celebrate that tonight. We're going to celebrate that. I'm absolutely busted. But I'm so thankful. So thankful. For all that God has done. For all that God will continue to do. I'm so thankful. So much to praise the Lord for. We're going to do that tonight. But as we call each other to go deeper into him, it won't just happen. This doesn't just happen. We must be prepared. What's your plan? What is your plan? What are you going to use to spend time and rest and devotion? What's going to work for you? What's your pattern? How are you going to shape your life around the presence of God, around his word, around a place of prayer? What space are we going to carve out? What patterns are we going to put in place, maybe that aren't there already? And what's our practice? How are we going to live this all out? How are we going to live this out in our own lives? And how is this going to influence other people around us? What's our plan? What's the pattern? And what's our practice? We're going to worship God now just in in closing and we're going to lift our voices um, in worship. Um, Let me invite you to stand. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing together. Let's stand.
just want to take a moment for us. To, to really pause and, and contemplate the goodness of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, the King of Kings. If it wasn't for him and for his work on our behalf, none of us would be here. I want you to think, ponder in your heart right now the grace of God in your life. The journey of your life to this moment, to this very moment. I want you to think about the gracious hand of God. Why are you here? Why are you here? How have you come? What has Jesus done in your life? Why do you love to worship him? Why do we gather like this? Why do we bother? Lord God, we're so tired, many of us. Life can weigh us down. The pressures can seem at times too great. But you're the God of mercy and grace. You pour out your goodness upon us. You've called us home by your grace. And it is your grace that keeps us going every single day. We have no other response to your grace poured out upon us but to worship you, but to worship you, to raise our voices in adoration, thanksgiving, joy at who you are and all that you've done. So we do that now. We boldly approach once again your throne of grace, knowing that you welcome us. Lord, we ask that you would take us deeper in our faith, in our walk with you, never settling for the shallow waters, but finding life in the deep end of grace. If anyone, Father, is here this morning and they really, really, really need someone to pray with them, someone who they can talk to about any of this, we pray that they would courageously go and speak with someone afterwards. Do your work in our hearts right now. Lord God, I couldn't be so I couldn't be more thankful. Heavenly Father, I couldn't be more thankful for all that you've done. And so may, may gratitude, thankfulness rise up among us and within us and in this space as we give you the glory, as we worship your great name. So lead us now, Spirit of God, we pray, as we respond in worship. We pray in Jesus' name.